0: Manolo Quezon, and this is the Explainer Podcast. Conventions, conveners, and impresarios, Part 2, Fixers, Promoters, and the Prestige. In our previous episode, we covered political conventions and how they fell out of favour. But then, as now, if you didn't have a convention to approve your candidacy, how is anyone supposed to take you seriously? I'm Manolo Quezon, and this is the Manolo Quezon is the Explainer podcast. Welcome. For 30 years, 1935 to 1965, conventions were the way parties picked presidential candidates. Starting in 1969, the system started to break down, and 20 years after 1965, that is, in 1985, both Marcos and his opponents had a problem. How do you muster the legitimacy to proclaim a candidacy for the presidency? Marcos stuck to the old ways, a rigged convention, but his opponents set up an alternative called a convener's group. Fast forward to 2021, and both the administration coalition, which includes the Marcoses, and its opponents, which includes surviving veterans of the anti-Marcos years, are facing the same problem. Today, both systems have stopped working. Parties no longer have the scale and scope to confer legitimacy. And for the opposition, it's composed of so many groups, how is one supposed to go about achieving a consensus? According to Vice President Lenny Robredo, Senator Panfilo Lacson Jr. had a proposal. His opposition unification plan goes like this. All interested candidates should file their candidacies in October and then see who does well in the surveys. When someone emerges clearly ahead, the other candidates should withdraw their candidacies and support that candidate as the opposition standard bearer. This is an informal version, when you think of it, of the American primary system. But there is a fundamental difference between Laxon and Robredo, and it has to do with procedure. If the mainstream politicians look to the Marcos years for an answer, as we saw last time, for reform-minded people, the place to look back to is the snap election of 1986. And this is the method Robredo is currently committed to and which Laxon quite quickly declined to be part of. But first, a musical interlude. If you're an adherent of Isambayan, you're probably familiar with this song. It's by Ryan Kayab It's a nostalgic piece calling back memories of the opposition anthem, Bayanko. Isambayan is a group of elders or conveners who decided to come together to help unify the opposition. Perhaps you also heard about how they wanted to put forward a short list of possible candidates who would then introduce themselves to the public so the public could later decide which one of them they wanted as an official opposition candidate. And perhaps if you listened to the previous episode, you know that one of Sambayan's conveners, Antonio Carpio, featured in the last presidential campaign where a party convention could have mattered, the LDP convention of 1992. The LDP of 1992 broke apart because a convention failed to resolve the question of who would be its candidate. Twenty years later, former Justice Antonio Carpio, who had been in the Ramos campaign, which walked out of the LDP convention, is going down another road, that of a convener's group. And that brings us back to memory lane, to that other means of selecting a candidate not for a party, but instead an untidy, quarrelsome gang of opposition groups. In contrast to their disunity was their enemy, Marcos, who branded himself musically like this. might remember that song from the very first episode of this podcast. It was the theme song of Marcos's New Society. This song used new seven times in 43 seconds, as much as any jingle for detergent or toothpaste. The New Society didn't last long from late 1972 to 1981, when Marcos rebranded things as the, you guessed it, New Republic. And even that didn't stay new very long. By 1985, Marcos was trying to pacify the Americans and prove to his fellow Filipinos he was still top man. Both he and his critics were old school and first tried to stage conventions that would prove public backing for their candidacies. In Marcos's case, he shut up Arturo Tolentino who kept pointing out Marcos had to formally resign before running in a snap election by reviving the vice presidency and making Tolentino his running mate. But no one thought for a moment anyone but Marcos was calling the shots. For the opposition, there was a more basic problem. Who was the opposition? Who could claim to be its standard bearer? Salvador H. Laurel, pre-martial law senator, oppositionist in the Batasan, said Unido, the party he'd established, was the opposition and that he was its candidate. He had a convention to prove it, held on June 12th, 1985. In the end, it didn't matter. Laurel might have been master of his own camp, but the opposition wanted a much bigger tent. I'm now going to ask you to listen to clips that took place exactly a month apart.
1: I feel out of delicate that I should
0: now inhibit myself from further direct personal participation in the task assigned to Justice Palma and myself of designing a formula for the selection of the
1: United Opposition's common presidential candidate. Period. Unquote.
0: That was the voice of Nene Pimentel reading a statement by Cory Aquino on November 12, 1985. Next, listen to this.
1: Well, um, all of the anti-Marcos votes will be consolidated now because there is just one ticket. United, we cannot lose. Although divided, we cannot win. So now that we are united, I don't see how we can lose.
0: Those were the voices of Cory Aquino and Doyle Laurel, as they announced on December 12, 1985, they're forming a joint ticket to fight out the 1985 snap election against Marcos and Tolentino. How they finally became a tandem is quite a story. It required abandoning the idea of party conventions and substituting them with something untested. That substitution was all about doing things in the open instead of in secret. For Americans, the term smoke-filled rooms emerged from the party conventions of old, where big-time bosses gathered to hammer out deals and select a candidate. By the late 1960s, primaries, round-robin intramural voting began to clarify who would get the party's nomination, making conventions what they are today: ceremonial photo-ops to soothe the wounds of intra-party rivalry and to prepare party members to take their case to the people. In our case, as we've seen, martial law ended whatever political evolution was taking place. The process was only jump-started again as Marcos started getting sick, and oppositionists realized they had an opportunity in a possible snap election. The atmosphere was against secret decisions made in smoke-filled rooms. I first told the story you're about to hear back in 1996, and here's part of what I wrote. Our story takes off from the assassination of Ninoy Aquino in August 1983. The energy unleashed by Ninoy's death was too much to be contained within a single group as people experienced the thrill and euphoria of indulging in daring acts of insubordination. Small groups sprouted like mushrooms on the deadwood of the state. Taking a cue from Ninoy's arrival statement, Jaime Cardinal Sin proposed an eight-member National Council composed of four representatives from within and outside the government. This was the opening salvo of the Church's effort to steer the irresistible forces of change into peaceful and orderly channels. On January 7th and 8th, 1984, the Congress of the Filipino People, COMPIL, was held in an attempt to unify the opposition groups. It was composed of moderates and attempted to answer two questions— Should the Marcos resign movement go on? And if Marcos ever quit, who should be entrusted with running the government? These questions were eventually shunted aside as a more pressing issue presented itself, but not before a dream list of possible candidates was drawn up. What course of action should the opposition take with regard to the upcoming Batasan elections? A compromise was painfully reached Participation under certain conditions. The conditions themselves were decided upon by balloting. The Compil had succeeded in revealing a way for the groups to come up with a position they could hold in common. Marcos, of course, rejected the conditions which caused a flurry of renewed argumentation among the opposition. Lorenzo Tañada, Jose W. Diocno, and Butz Aquino called for a boycott, citing the same arguments that dated back to the 1978 and 1981 boycott movements. The boycott group eventually formed an umbrella organization, CORD, which included Jovito Salonga, ex-president Diosdado Macapagal, and Raul Manglapus. Then the widow spoke. Cori Aquino was for participation even though she had no illusions about the outcome of the polls. In February 1984, Cardinal Sindh called for participation too. UNIDO decided to participate in the election, as did regional parties such as PDP-Laban, which felt that boycott campaigns in the past had actually hurt the opposition. Another organization was revived to help guard against fraud, NAMFREL. For the first time, the opposition would fight fraud with organized vigilance. The boycott failed, the turnout was high, and for once an organized group existed to catalogue and inform the public of the government's electoral dirty tricks. The opposition took almost a third of the seats in parliament after a heavy toll from the administration's massive cheating. In the public mind, the opposition had proven its strength, and it was time to plan for bigger things. Around the time of the May 14 elections, a Jesuit and businessman's group began deliberating again on the contingencies should Marcos die. This group called themselves the facilitators. They finally decided on a way to find a candidate quickly. They called it the fast-track system. Its aim, to avoid the inevitable bickering and internecine strife sure to attend the selection of a common presidential candidate Should elections be suddenly called? Emmanuel Soriano, Dr. Alfredo Bengson, Ricardo Lopa, Father Joaquin Bernas, SJ, and Ramon Del Rosario, Jr., all members of Manindigan were the architects of this process. They met with the convener group composed of Lorenzo Taniada, representing the left of center, Jaime Ongpin, representing moderates, and Cory the quote, symbol of unity, unquote. Both groups met on November 13, 1984 and came up with a list of potential standard-bearers. Butz Jose W. Diocno, Teofisto Gingona Jr., Eva Estrada Calao, Salvador H. Laurel, Raul Manglapus, Ramon Mitra Jr., Ambrosio Padilla, Aquilino Pimentel Jr., Rafael Salas, and Jovito Salonga. A month later, these people met with the facilitators and the convener group and agreed to sign a declaration of unity. Calao and Laurel abstained. Laurel did not sign because he objected to the already toned-down anti-US basis line in the declaration. The conveners group and the potential standard bearers in an agreement signed on January 2 chose a system in which the potential candidates would choose in secret ballot the standard-bearer from among themselves by a simple majority vote. They committed themselves to look for a more creative method, but in the meantime this would do. The NUC offered a compromise solution, whereby the cause-oriented groups would be entitled to 30% representation in the convention that would choose the standard-bearer. It invited the convener's group to a meeting. The group declined. But the negotiations went on in time-honored political fashion with a continuing exchange of proposals and counter-proposals. And so it went until finally, on November 21, 1985, an agreement was reached and the platform approved. The opposition was almost whole. The success of the NUC convener negotiations proved the resilience of the old politicians who would finally agree to anything for the sake of unity and political effectiveness, because ultimately words meant nothing to do them. Hence, they would survive into the era and the new political forces would die. But what wouldn't survive, as we saw last time, was the party convention. And it's taken decades for the conveners group model to be revived, but we don't know if it will work. The signs so far aren't promising. Last Independence Day, June 12, an experiment took place that went horribly wrong. The experiment was put together by a group that we met earlier calling itself Isambaya. It's a rare kind of political animal that goes by the name of a conveners group. And a conveners group, simply speaking, is a gathering of respected individuals who have come together to help make possible the identification and selection of an opposition candidate for the presidency. What the conveners wanted to make possible, as far as I can tell, was an exercise along these lines. The conveners would put together a short list of qualified potential opposition candidates. These potential candidates would then be invited to deliver a message which the members, followers, allies, or general public aware of Sambayan could then watch. Sometime in July, after a period of discernment, the registered members could then vote to decide Who should be the standard bearer of the opposition going into the 2022 campaign? But what happened was a disaster. One by one, people began to back out. Vilma Santos said she didn't know about it and wasn't interested. Grace Poe said she wouldn't run for president. To cut a long story short, only the Vice President, Lenny Robredo, and former Senator Antonio Trillanes seemed interested which is where the opposition had been before the whole exercise was attempted. Now, while you can argue, as I did argue, that the exercise was successful in weeding out those too scared or too transactional to make an opposition stand, many people, including many oppositionists, were disappointed over how it played out. which leaves us with the model that's become the workable one for most of the post-EDSA era. It's what Randy David calls the political impresario model. An impresario is a promoter and a fixer, a deal and package maker, a magician if you will. Now listen to these excerpts from a film titled The Prestige.
1: Every magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called... The pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary. Uh, A deck of cards, a bird, or or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it. To see that it is indeed real. Yeah, unordinate. Normal. But of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something. And makes it do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. Because of course, you're not really looking. You don't really wanna know. You want to be fooled. But you wouldn't clap yet. Because making something disappear isn't enough you have to bring it back that's why every magic trick has a third act the hardest part the part we call the prestige
0: simply put to achieve the political prestige of a viable campaign it goes like this you look at the surveys Who has name recognition and popularity? You need both, either enough of it to immediately become a strong candidate or enough to show potential if you get the right backing. Armed with surveys, you then go around talking to people with money to ask who wants in. The truly big money gives to everybody, but some might be enticed to bet bigger on your candidate than on others. With surveys and money, you can then shop around for a party. And with all three, you can declare candidacy and fight it out in the campaign. You can argue that the impresario model at least has practicality on its side. Twice, in 1992 with Ramon Mitra Jr. and 1998 with Jose de Venecia Jr., sitting presidents were confronted with loyal speakers who had built giant coalitions and now felt the president owed them an endorsement for the presidency. Cory Aquino preferred to bet on a potential winner, Fidel V. Ramos, instead. While Ramos himself ended up paying his political debts by endorsing de Venecia, who lost badly. You could argue that three winning candidates, Joseph Ejército Estrada, Benigno S. Aquino III, and Rodrigo Duterte, were all made possible by political impresarios. Just in Aquino's case, Billy Esposo and Conrado de Quiroz took credit for Aquino's candidacy, which began as an insurgency against the already ongoing candidacy of Manuel Rojas II. Duterte's candidacy was a guerrilla operation mounted by a coalition composed of Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo, Fidel V. Ramos, and others to forestall their nightmare scenario of a round two reform presidency. All three had this in common. Theirs were negligible parties prior to their becoming president. This system as we have it today is the opposite of the other two from earlier eras. But because our parties are empty shells, and because the public increasingly thinks politics is a passing inconvenience and not a lifelong commitment, it's what we have. In conventions and convener groups, communities of followers, party members, organizational supporters, get together and make a choice to present to the people. Last episode, you listen to the PDP Laban trying to simulate the convention without having one now around the same time came this effort
1: wala po dito sa bumboluson lalo na sa national capital region at bumbol central Luzon, malugod po namin kayong binabati mayor inday sara ng
0: What this tried to do is simulate what conventions used to do. Have representatives of a movement with a common cause decide on a common candidate. And after looking at the convener model, we also looked at the impresario model in which you manufacture the candidate first and then look for a base of support later. It is, in some ways, a far more cynical exercise. How unsatisfying it all is, but it's all we have. Thank you for listening.